0: You know, it's 15 years since Angela and I built our home. If we, we'd been living here in town for 10 years, and and we decided after 10 years of living in town that we, we'd love to construct our own home in the country, back where I'm from. And, and we'd been watching, as we drove around the countryside, some amazing houses that we were getting ideas from. And, and we liked to look at this house, and we liked to look at that house, and this one was definitely way out of our budget, but this one here wasn't, and... And you know, actually, ever since we got married, we, we when we got married in the first place, we, we wanted to build a house. So it took us ten years of marriage before we eventually did, finally, construct a home. But here's the thing: if you've ever constructed a home, you'd know that it's probably the most stressful thing that you'll ever do in your life. It it brought stress levels from zero up to a hundred sometimes. And you know, we used to drive around the countryside, seeing all these. Amazing, fantastic houses. And we thought to ourselves, we should do that. Not knowing what kind of a task we were taking on, we thought, you know what, that seems easy, that seems simple, let's let's do it. And it wasn't. You see, the first thing you had to do was you had to find a site. Well, you had to find someone, a farmer or someone that's willing to sell you a bit land. And and the first piece of land that we, we, we got, we, we was actually over beside where my brother and sister live, a few miles from where we are now. And, And we made an agreement to buy this piece of land. We got an architect. He designed a house for us. And we got all the the tests done and all that. And and when the guy came out to test the the, the tests, it was difficult, but we passed it. And and we put our application in for planning. And it came back nine weeks later, or however long it took. And and we were refused. And we were devastated. We were like, you know, huh? I thought this was meant to be easier than that. And, And we later realized that this was the first of a number of stumbling blocks and a number of stressful situations that we were meant to come up against before we got our house built. So it didn't work work out on that site. We ended up spending maybe 3,000 pounds or euros or whatever it was at the time on that actual site and still got nothing from it. So then after another few months, we eventually found another site and we got designs done again went through all the tests again put our application in again and thankfully this time we got our permission but that was only the start of it now we had to go find a builder we had to find someone that was going to clear the site that was the first thing we we had to do and and we got a guy who cleared the site and he he dug the foundations and and the foundations were dug and then the foundations were poured we had to find someone to do that and we had to find a plumber then when you're pouring the foundations you never think of all these things but you know, you think the plumber is the guy who comes in late. In the st- no, a plumber is right there at the start because all the pipes have to go in before the foundation goes in. So all the pipes went in and the foundation went in and uh, other things went in. And, and I mean, it was a disaster. Like it was, for me, it was this, uh, like, you know, building a house should be like putting up a tent. I mean, come on. But <laughs> it wasn't. And, and and then we had to, we had to go get a, a a builder, a block layer. We had to organize windows. We had to, organize a roofer and a carpenter and the tilers and and all of this sort of stuff and, and i mean it was stress city every day we go to the house to look at it and we would look at the house and look at the site as it were not a house we look at at the site this this dream that we had in our head and we'd be like you know this is nothing like the dream <laughs> this is a nightmare and you know as we went through the process the costs started to rise and you know what we thought that we were going to construct for a certain amount of money now started to cost more and now we were concerned about overruns and and we had all of this sort of stuff and and still it was a an absolute mess everything was messy the site was messy there was rubbish all over the site i mean when they cleared the site they had this big mound of earth that i think was probably higher than vinegar hill and you could put a, a castle on that if you wish and and that was there and and did I say the mess? It was a mess. It was an absolute mess, this dream house. You know, every so often, we would bring our architect in. And we thought when we bring the architect in, he'd come in and, and he'll look at the mess and, and he'll turn around and he'll say, no, you need to do this and you need to fix this. And, you need... and he'd instruct our, our builders to sort out this mess. But every time the architect would come in, he'd say, everything is going according to plan. And we'd be like, What? Everything is going according to plan. This is a mess. And he'd be like, no, no, it's a process. It's a process. You know, building something is a process. And for most of us, when we're building something, we don't actually get the enjoyment of what we're building until we see the the final stone fitted or or, or until we move in. But, But it's a process. And I think when it comes to our lives too, we need to realize that our lives are... A process God is building our lives and even though we're not where we want to be or where we think we should be you know I think God would say to you today if you if we were to bring him in I think God would say everything is coming on okay everything is coming on fine you're a building process and even though stuff in your life is messy even though you look over here and it seems like it's all rubbish and all mess and, and over here it's chaos and, and things are going on wrong over here, I, I think when God would look at you, he'd say, that's okay. We're building something here. We're, building something. we're getting someplace here. This is a process. Life is a process. You know, God drew up the plans for your life before you were born, before you were formed in your mother's womb. God drew up your plans for your life and I believe God would say, I'm working on a process here. You're not there yet. That's okay. But we're getting there. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God's saying to you and I, he says, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. You see, God knows the place in our lives that we're on our way to. And he knows that we're not there yet. But God is not worried about that. Amen? He's not put out. He's not... Concerned, He's not stressed out that we're not where we should be. God knows that we make mistakes. He knows that we fall down. He knows that we mess things up. But God is not looking at the way you look at things. God is looking at you as a, as a work in progress. Amen? We're a work in progress. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations before you were born god had set out a plan for your life just the same as when we before we built our house before it became a house that we could live in we had a plan we knew what it would look like so we shouldn't have been stressed out halfway through it because of the mound of earth the size of vinegar hill or the mess of rubbish over in the corner and unfinished things we should have kept our eyes on the plan rather than keep our eyes on on the way it is today amen god knows he knows you he has you planned he has you god has you figured out you know that even though most of us are still confused about you god has you figured out (laughs) praise god god knows you amen but you see the problem that we have is is we allow the enemy to speak into our lives we allow the enemy to come in and The Word of God says he's the accuser of the brethren. We we allow him to come into our lives and we allow him to point out our problems. We allow him to point out our messes. We allow him to bring the accusations and the the accusing against us and say things against us that that we know is wrong. But the problem is we listen probably more closely and more clearly to, to what the enemy says to us rather than we listen to what God is saying about us. We need to learn to see us the way God sees us, rather than listen to what the enemy says about us. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 10, he says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us in you in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Do you get that? He says, you are God's Masterpiece. Let that sink in for a second. You know, when we think of masterpieces, we think of of something like, you know, the Mona Lisa. Or we think about some amazing building somewhere in the world that's considered to be a masterpiece. I think when we look in the mirror in the mornings, most of us don't see a masterpiece. We see what the enemy wants us to see. Someone who has failed more often than succeeded. We see the things that we've done that we know we shouldn't have done. But I want us to get the revelation that when God looks at you, he sees a masterpiece. He created in you a masterpiece, despite all the things that are not right. And God knows we all have things that are not right. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see the faults. He doesn't see the failings. He sees the masterpiece that is created in you. And we need to get a revelation that we are a masterpiece rather than a failure. Amen. Amen. I want to listen to what God says about me rather than what the enemy says about me. Amen? 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 If I'm looking for encouragement, I don't go to someone who doesn't like me to ask for for encouragement. I go to someone who loves me. Amen. Amen? When you want to know something about your life, don't go to someone who doesn't like you, who hates you. Go to God. He loves you. Amen? And what God is saying about you, He's saying that you are a masterpiece. Yes, you are under construction. But you know what? You're not where you were six months ago. You're not where you were six years ago. Yeah, amen. You're not where you want to be, but you're under construction. Amen. God is not finished with you yet. We need to say what Philippians 1 and verse 6 says. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It says, He who has begun a good work in you. Just like when we started to build our house, we didn't build it in six weeks. It took us probably well, 9 months, 10 months, 11 months to build a house. You know, and if we had a, at, at any stage, 6 weeks or even 6 months decided, that, Hey, listen, you know what? It's not the way we want it to be. Forget about it. That would have been wrong. Amen? Yeah. And just because we're not where we, we want to be or where God has designed us to be doesn't mean that we throw the hat at it. Throw the towel in. We're under construction. Amen? It says... He who began a good work in you, he will complete it. God has begun a good work. And you're not finished yet. None of us are finished yet. Amen? And that's great news. Amen? We have to learn to look beyond the mess and see the masterpiece. Amen? Look beyond the mess. Look over the mess. Don't look at the way it looks today. Look at the plan. Amen? We had these lovely plans done out. Even today, I know you can get even better plans. They're in color today and almost in, in 3D today. But you know what? When you're in the process of building your house, that's not the way it looks. But you've got to learn to look at the way it's going to be rather than the way it's looking today. Yeah. Amen? Look beyond the mess. Look at the masterpiece that God is creating in you. You know, King David was probably the greatest king that Israel ever had, aside from Jesus. He was the greatest king God described David as a man after his very own heart. Isn't that amazing? David was a man after God's very own heart, but David wasn't perfect. David messed up. He made some big mess-ups, amen? You know, in actual fact, David made some bigger mess-ups than you will ever make in your life. But God still loved him. God still had a plan for him. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see the story there of David and Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. And for the time's sake today, I'm not going to read through that whole story for you. But if you haven't read it before, it's there in 2 Samuel 11. But at at that time, the kingdom of Israel was at war with his enemies. When wasn't it? But here's the thing. When Israel went to war, God expected the king to go with the army. But David didn't. So you had this situation where the Ark of the Covenant... And the armies of Israel were out fighting on the battlefield and David was at home. And it came one night when David was at home. There was nothing on television or Netflix so he went out for a walk on his roof. And as he walked on his roof and he walked around because he was bored, he happened to look in a certain direction and he he happened to look through someone's window. He was the first peeping Tom I think that we've seen in the Bible. And as he looked through someone's window, he seen Bathsheba, and she was in her bath, and she was bathing. And David's attention was turned to her, and he went back, and he got one of his servants, and he said, Hey, listen, I want you to find out who this woman is. Servant came back, and he said, That's Bathsheba. She is Uriah, one of your soldier's wives. And David then, ignoring all of that facts, he said, You know, bring her here to me. So David got Bathsheba brought to him, and he lay with her, and she became pregnant. And when she came to David and said, hey, listen, David, I'm pregnant, David said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He sent to the battlefield, and he said to his generals in the battlefield, find Uriah, Bathsheba's wife for me, and bring her here to me, bring bring him here to me. And Uriah was brought to David, and, and David brought Uriah in, and he said, hey, listen, how's it going on the battlefield? How are we getting on? And he probably listened and nodded like most of the time when we ask a question that we don't really care about the answer. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do with him. And he probably, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what you do. You go home there now to your wife and stay there for a couple of days. Thinking that, you know what? Uriah is going to go home to his wife, Bathsheba now. and First thing he's going to go, and he's going to go in and he's going to lay with her. And, and then David is going to think that, or too many names, too many names. Uriah is going to think that Bathsheba's child is his. But Uriah, when he went home, he didn't go into his home. He spent that night out on the doorstep. So word came back to David that he didn't go in and sleep with his wife like you thought he would. So David brought Uriah back in and questioned him and and asked him and said, okay, you know what? Um, Go away for a few days again and I'll call you back in. So a couple of days later, David called him back in again, and David got him drunk. He thought, I'll give him a big feed, and I'll get him drunk, and I'll send him home. And in his drunken state this time, surely he will lie with his wife. But again, he didn't. So again, David left him for a couple of days again, and he brought him back in again, and one of his servants, and he said, Uriah, I'm sending you back to the front. So now David, then he decides, I'm going to send a letter now with Bathsheba, to, um, to the army to say that when, when Uriah gets back to the front, I want you to send him into the, to the hottest part of the battle. And when he's in the hottest part of the battle, I want the other soldiers that are with him to withdraw from him, from him so that he will be killed. And he was killed. Uriah was killed. Now, I don't, know, I, I don't know most of your history. I know some of your histories. But I don't believe you've ever done anything like that. Praise God. We can talk about it afterwards. (laughs) If you have. Glory to God. But I don't think we've ever done anything like that, have we? But yet God still called David a man after his own heart. He still had great plans for David. He still had purpose for David. He was still making David into what was going to be the greatest king that Israel ever knew. And David had an affair with Bathsheba, and he had Bathsheba's wife killed. So I think maybe that should give us a little bit of perspective sometimes when we look at our messes and think, how could God use me after all the mess up that I did? How could God use me after what I did last week? How could God use me and the mess my life is in? I think we need to take it into perspective, and we need to ask ourselves, Well, look what God did with David, even after he had a love rival murdered. We're all under construction. That doesn't justify the mistakes or sins that we commit, but it takes us to a place that we find our redemption in Jesus, and we find when we find our redemption and forgiveness in Jesus that we're still a work in progress. Amen? We are a work in progress. Progress, God is not done with you yet. Hebrews chapter 2, it says there, verse 2, it says, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus started, he's the author, and he's the finisher. He's the one who, who will bring your story to completion. He has written the story of your life, he has made the plans of your life he has you in a place where he is using you he's working with you he's working with your faults and with your failings he's working with your mess and he's going to bring you to completion he's the author and the finisher of our faith church god is a finisher amen if you drive around the countryside today you will find Many dozens of houses that are not finished. Many dozens of houses. We, when we go for a drive, I'm always pointing them out to Angela I say, See the house over there? That's been under construction for 10 years. You know there's a house fairly close to where we live? I only saw it yesterday. I was with Emma and that, that house was started the very same time as our house was. And it's still not finished. You know, God it doesn't do that. Amen. God doesn't take a house to a place where, you know, it's, it's three quarters built and, 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 not, and not finished. That's not God, amen? And I don't know why these houses are not finished. I don't know whether there was a breakup in relationships. I don't know whether they ran out of money. I don't know whether, whatever happened. But I know in your life, when you're under construction, things are going to come against you. Problems are going to come, arise. Issues are going to arise. But when they do arise, you need to realize that, you know what? I'm under construction. God is not finished with me yet. Amen? Amen? He who begun a good work in me will finish it. Amen? Amen? You see, we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus and put God first in every area of our lives and then allow God to finish what He has started in us. You see, the only two people that can... Stop your finishing, becoming everything that God created you to be is you. If you listen to the enemy. It's one person really. The enemy is the one that will try and you're the only one that can stop it by listening to what the enemy has to say. Amen. You see, you need to keep your eye firmly fixed on Jesus. Keep trusting in God that he is going to finish it. He is the author. He is the finisher. He's the one who designed the plan for your life. Psalms 33 says in verse 11, it says, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Listen, God is not going to change his mind concerning you. Despite every mistake, despite all the mess, despite all the problems, Despite all the rejections, despite everything that you may have done, God will not change his plans concerning you. God's plans were set before you were born, and they will not change. He will not change his mind, he will not alter his plan. That's the kind of God we serve, amen? And you know, a lot of times we bring this mess on ourselves. But we need to remind ourselves that when we find ourselves in a mess, God's not surprised. God's not shocked. Amen? He's not surprised or shocked. It's all part of the process. Amen? When God created you, your plan, he took all that mess-ups into consideration. Isn't that great to know? (laughs) When God created your plan, he took all your mess-ups into consideration. When God created David's plan... He took the mess up of Bathsheba into consideration. He knew he was going to do that. He knew that he was going to have Uriah killed, but that didn't mean that turned God away from David. Still described him as a man after his own heart. God wasn't shocked. Amen? You know, the Apostle Paul is one of my heroes in faith. I love reading the epistles and the letters that Paul wrote. You know, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. By inspiration of God that we have in your hands today or on your phones today. Through his evangelism, more people came to know Jesus than just about anyone else in the word of God besides Jesus himself. Paul was amazing. He was powerful. He was a humble man. He gave me one of my favorite scriptures in 1 Corinthians 9 where it says, I have come all things to all people so by all possible means I may Save some. This is the same Paul that tells us that he was personally taught by Jesus for three years while he lived in Arabia. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12. During his ministry, he resurrected at least one person from the dead. And he was resurrected himself from the dead after being stoned. Paul carried out at least five evangelical journeys, visited more than 50 cities. And he traveled and preached the gospel all across Europe. He even preached the gospel to the Roman Caesar of the time and his household. Paul's effect on early Christian, the early Christian church was immense. So much so that, that we still read about it today. Paul, he wrote at least 14 books of the Bible. The most by any other author. He trained the evangelists, John, Mark, and Timothy. He spent a total of more than five years in a Roman prison where he wrote some of his most inspirational epistles that that we have in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul's life was cut short by the Romans in AD 68. He's easily one of the most influential Christians in the Bible besides Jesus himself. But he wasn't always the golden haired boy. The first time we see Paul, or as he was known then, Saul in our Bibles. If you were reading along with us in our Bible daily reading, you would have read about this this week in Acts chapter 7, when we seen the young Saul standing by at the stoning of Stephen. And in Acts 8 that we read on Thursday, it says, in verse 1 it says, Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. From there, we see Saul showing up in the word of God in Acts. And now with the blessing of the Jewish leaders, Saul is now going around to the early church and he's arresting, he's sending to jail, and he's consenting to the killing of the early believers in Jesus. Paul in his own words in Galatians 1 verse 13 says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and even tried to destroy it. This is Paul. A hero in faith for me. Paul said that when he was in Judaism, he excelled. And his specialist subject in Judaism was destroying the work of Jesus Christ. And then he had an encounter with Jesus on the road, to Jer- in the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, it says there in verse 1, it says then, Saul, still breeding threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether they men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest more believers to continue in his campaign to ravage the early church, if, if he had had his way in this trip to Damascus, more people would have been jailed, more people would have been persecuted, more people would have been killed. And then Jesus, the architect of Paul's or Saul's life, shows up on the road to Damascus. And it says in verse 3, as he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Or basically what Jesus was saying, it is hard for you to kick against what I'm trying to do in your life. I wonder in our lives how many of us are kicking against the goads. I wonder in our lives how many of us are fighting and battling hard against the plans God has for our lives. I wonder how many of us here today could give testimony of before you came to Jesus that you knew that you were kicking against the plans that God had for your life. I believe many of us. He said it is hard for you to kick against the goals. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what? In any stage of our lives, when we look at the mess, when we look at the issues, when we look at the problems, that's a great question to ask God. God, look at all this mess. Look at all these issues and problems. Look at where I messed up over here. Look at the mess up I've left there. Look at the things I've done here. God, what, what do you want me to do in my life? What do you want to do with me? Amen? Amen. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. When you come to God in your mess, in your issues, in your problems, in your, in your horrible circumstances, if you come before God and say, God, in this mess, what do you want me to do? God will instruct you. Amen? In your worst day, If you come before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? God will instruct you. God will never ignore you. He'll never say, oh, look at the mess you've made. And you come to me now wanting me to fix the mess for you. Wanting to give you some guidance for life, give you some vision. We have the impression that in our worst mess that we shouldn't come to God. But in our worst mess, that's when we need to cry out to God all the more. Amen? Amen? See, even though Paul, through his messy years where he persecuted, imprisoned, and even killed the followers of Jesus, God had a plan for his life. And that plan never changed. Amen? And God's plan for your life will never change. No matter how messy, no matter how bad it may look, God's plan for you will never change. Romans 11 verse 29 in the uh, contemporary English version says, God doesn't take back the gifts he has given or forget about the people he has chosen. Isn't that great? Oh, that's great. Because that's exactly the opposite the way we react or the way we think. We think, you know what, if I give someone something and they don't react well to it, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to take it back. If we give someone a gift and they abuse that gift, we'll take it back. But that's exactly opposite the way that God operates. God doesn't take back the gift. No, he doesn't forget about the people He has chosen. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing. Even on your your Christian journey, you'll still make mistakes. But just like with our kids, when they make mistakes, we don't disown them. And when we make mistakes, our Father God doesn't disown us. He just looks at us at a person under construction, at a person that he's working things out with. That's who our God is, amen? Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. God will take your mess. He'll take your issues. He'll take your, your hurts. He'll take your abuses. He'll take your rejections. He'll take all of your mess and problems and, and junk and garbage. And he'll work it all out for good. He'll work it out for good. That abuse, God will work it out for good. That issues and problems, God will work that out for good. Everything that's gone on in your life, God will work it out for good. Amen. That's the kind of God we serve. He takes our problems and he uses them. He uses them to create good in our lives. Amen. Even with... Even after Paul's divine encounter with Jesus, he still made mistakes. He still messed up. The very same Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, I am the chief of sinners. You see, sometimes because we have Jesus in our lives, we think that we shouldn't sin or we, we can't sin and we still do. And when we're saved, the enemy comes along when we're saved. And he heaps more guilt on us when we sin when we're saved. But we need to realize that we're not there yet. We're on the way. We're on a journey. We're not there completion. We're running this race. And in this race that we run not call life, there's still mistakes going to be made. We're still going to do things, say things, and think things that we know that we shouldn't. But we need to be encouraged that Paul himself said that he was the chief of sinners. Amen. He's the chief of sinners. He said in Romans 7, 15, he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But I, what I hate, that's what I do. You are a work in progress. We need to cut out the guilt. Amen. We need to cut out all of that guilt that the enemy tries to heap on us. And we need to look at the mess and say, yeah, okay, it's not perfect. It's not ideal. It's not excellent. Shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have said that. It's not God's best for me. But God has me in the palm of his hand. And he's making in me the person that he created me to be. And even though there's a mess there, Even though I'm not where I want to be or where God wants me to be, I'm on the way. I'm under construction. I'm working it out. Amen? God is the master builder in our lives. He is. At no stage of the building process of my home did I go in there and tell the block layers, the roofers, the plumbers, and the electricians, hey, get out. I'm going to finish this myself. Even though the work that they were doing, you know, it it didn't look like excellence to me. I didn't understand the process. See, I'm not a builder. I'm not an electrician. I'm not a plumber. I don't know these things. And neither do I know God's plans for my life. Neither do I know God's ways for my life. I know God has a plan for my life. And I'm doing my best to, to fall in with that plan and realize that God has taken me someplace that, that he's bringing me. But I'm also recognizing that I'm under construction. And just the same as I didn't run all the builders out of my house, I just I got content with the process. We need to find some contentment in our process. We need to see the mess and say, yes, okay, God's building something. I'm trying my best to do better. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Amen? Final scripture, Romans chapter 3. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Hey, listen. We've all fallen. We've all made mistakes. You know what? We will tomorrow as well. We will the next day as well. But we need to realize our justification is not in myself, amen? I'm not self-justified. Glory to God. Because I'm not the builder. God is. Amen. And we are justified through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen.